This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 805 with Heather Salazar. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 805. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Heather Salazar is the president and CEO of Pink Ribbon Good. As a breast cancer survivor, Heather knows firsthand that what women and men really need most during their battle is support. Through her work with Pink Ribbon Good, Heather makes sure that individuals fighting breast and gynecological cancers are supported with healthy meals, rides to treatment, house cleaning kits, and peer support and education, all at no cost to the patient, and all because no one travels this road alone. Heather graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology from Wright State University and in communication and social work. Heather and her family have been featured in People Magazine, on The Today Show, and on The Tamron Hall Show. Heather and I, in talking through when to release this interview, which we recorded a few months ago now, we were thinking that this would be the perfect timing. If you're listening in live time, we're releasing this in September. September is Gynecological Cancer Awareness Month and... October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So as we enter these two months, which have impacted deeply anyone's life who's touched by either a personal experience with either of these kinds of cancers or having lost a loved one to either of these cancers, you know how significant these moments, these phases, these seasons can be when someone is struggling, fighting, and if they get to move through that and beyond that, then there can be some recovery at the end. And sometimes there is not recovery at the end. And that obviously has lifelong impact. So I was excited to have Heather come on the show and share her story because she has an incredible story. And you'll hear in a minute, but it's one of those stories that it's like doesn't seem like it could be true, but it is. And Heather's taken some really, really hard things and opted to honor certain people's lives and also make sure that she's using her gifts and sharing them with the world so that, as she said in her bio, that no one has to travel this road alone when enduring a gynecological or a breast cancer. So listening to hear Heather share how she grew her family through adopting a baby whose mom, Alexis, had stage four cancer, 
the loss of Alexis and then Heather's own breast cancer diagnosis shortly after Alexis's death, how she started Pink Ribbon Good as someone who hates pink ribbons. We definitely dug into that for a minute. How she was able to charge forward and make assumptions that would be that she would be successful in her mission even when she had self-doubt which I love that, like assuming that she's going to be successful, even though that inner critic might have been screaming at her pretty loud. Then she talks about how she is supporting food insecure and transportation insecure people who are in breast and gynecological cancer treatment. And she talks about the sage advice of her investor, Pat, who gave her $45,000 and told her to go find the doers, the donors, and the door openers. I'm so excited to introduce you to Heather. She has so many great life lessons that she's going to share with you as she shares this incredible story of loss and also of life. So please join me in welcoming Heather Salazar to the Shameless Mom Academy. Heather, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh. We just had like 14 conversations in the last 10 minutes before we hit record. So I know this is going to be a super fun conversation. We're already lifelong friends. And it's like, it's not a super fun topic, but I appreciate that you can bring the light energy to something that is big and really, really important and also can be a little heavy. So I'm going to have us start off right where we always start off. Tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. So it's kind of a crazy question. I was actually thinking about it when I got the notes, because when you have breast cancer at 31, you have the, you live in this weird phase of life. Like the running joke I used to say is I'm not saving any money. I, if I die, I can't have my husband's second wife getting all the things I've worked for. And we would <laughs> joke about that. Right. And so you'd live in this life of, Hey, life is fragile. Life isn't guaranteed, but yet I am on here to, to create change and to help people as they fight their toughest battle. So I always say, I think that, you know, living every day to the fullest. A lot of people think I'm crazy probably, but I live as my college age daughter says, I like to live life on 10. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I, you don't, you're always guaranteed tomorrow. So I like to work hard, but I like to love hard and enjoy every moment and really, really be present. And that's something I always say, if cancer was a gift, I would burn it. I always say that. I still believe that, but that is the silver lining that it gives you. Like, I think at 31, Sarah, I thought I was pretty invincible. Oh yeah. I'm thinking of myself at 31, like definitely. Yeah. Can you tell us, so you just mentioned college age daughter, tell us your age range of kids. And then we're going to talk about Lexi, who is, I believe your youngest, right? Yes, correct. So great, great question. So I always had big plans. I thought I was going to solve generational poverty. I literally worked with the inner city. I loved them. I wanted to teach kids to, you know, provide for themselves and they were worthy of college. And so I never thought I would get married young or have kids young. And my husband got, I met my husband super young. We got married at 19. Crazy. Oh my gosh. So I was in college and he was in the military and we weren't exactly planning on having our first child. And I say that because I didn't want to have my first kid until I was 30 and I had breast cancer at 31 and I really wanted kids and I really wanted this family. So I always think that's just so cool how that worked out. So yeah. I had this when I was super young. So he is Christian. He is 28 and I was 21 when I had him and my second son, Caleb's 25 and my daughter, Kara is 22 and Lexi is 21. So Kara and Lexi are 10 months apart. Wow. And so who, people who are listening are like, wait, what? <laughs> so tell us about Alexis and then Lexi and the sto- their story, how they entered your life and really just dramatically changed the trajectory of your life. Right. So I think when I talk about a little bit about generational poverty, when my husband got his schooling and got out of the military, we moved back to Ohio. We really wanted to raise our family close to my, my parents and kind of have that proximity. And so my mom's neighbor um, is a midwife who helped deliver Lexi, baby Lexi. And she called me about looking for a home for Lexi. Her mom, Alexis, was 23 years old at the time and battling stage four breast cancer. That was shocking to me, shocking. And, you know, through some other details where some other people who we knew were kind of battling infertility and I had three small kids, but then they sort of had an issue with the color of her skin. And Mm -hmm. I had an issue with those people. And I said to my husband, I can't stop thinking about her. I can't stop thinking about her. And she wrote home, Alexis wrote home from her bilateral mastectomy on public transportation, the bus. Oh my gosh. 
So let that sink in. Drains, no support, begging for a bus token, and you're fighting for your life. Wow. That was shocking to me. So I had a phone call with Alexis. You have to remember, like you and I were talking about all the positive versus negatives of social media. There was no social media at the time. And so I called her and she said, can we meet at the grocery store? I can get the bus there. And by the time we got there, I was like, oh, how am I going to know what she looks like? How is she going to know what we look like? You know, we're in our minivan. Steve and I go together and she gets off of the bus. And I want you to picture this. She is the most beautiful thing. 98 pounds sopping wet. She has a short black mini skirt on a black shirt and a neon pink wig. Oh my gosh. Amazing. But she was so just spunky and beautiful. And she marches straight from the bus stop. And I'm like, she's only talked to me. She's never talked to my husband. And she walks right past me and she looks straight at my husband. And she said, I need help with my baby. And I Mm. need her to have a better life than me. And what was the premise of that meeting? What was, we were going to help her get some groceries, but you didn't know quite oh, right. which talk about okay. what she was really needing in a family. You know, oh, I didn't okay. know. And when you've been in the social work field a little bit, like, does she have all of her rights? Is there already someone involved? There's like a lot of things. Totally. Totally. So she walked right by me and said that to Steve. And he just started like getting tears in his eyes. And, you know, he's oh. not a super, you know, touchy feely kind of guy. And I just, I look back at that and like, she literally didn't even acknowledge me. You know, because it's like she knew, like she knew he, he was who she had to get to or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And Steve was just like, we'll do whatever it, what, whatever it takes. And we walk in to the grocery store and in the deli part, they had a little pizza section and she wanted some pizza. We got pizza. We ran around and got some groceries. And I just, we got back in the car and I was like, what just happened there? And he was like, we have to get an attorney. And I was like, in my head, right? 30 years old at this time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, do we have like when you have three little, haven't soared in your career yet or whatever. And so he's like, we have to have our own attorney. And so the next day we got an attorney and we talked to her attorney and they kind of expedited everything. It wasn't like a cakewalk, but it was five weeks later. We had full legal custody of her. Wow. And so Alexis had to go to court. Think about this. Things I think about now in the hindsight, we didn't pick her up for court. I don't know why she had a hard time getting it right. So why didn't we pick her up? It's like things that you weren't thinking because you were so in the moment because in those five weeks, we would go visit baby Lex and we would take her to treatment. So it was kind of like this busy time when we also had three little kids. And so we had to go to court and they asked some hard questions for her. And I just think, gosh, how did she answer those? How would you answer those as a mom? They were like, well, you don't know this family. How do you know she's going to take care of your daughter? And they would say, you know, so you have a terminal diagnosis, like so insensitively and she's 20. Mm. So the funniest thing to me too, is after the end of court, they say, we'll send you a fax of the verdict. We'll send you a fax. Well, I didn't have a fax machine, but we went over to my parents and we sat there and stared like the, at the fax. Like, so two hours later, they're like, you're granted full legal custody. Pick her up tomorrow at 10. That was it. Wow. So we went the next day, we picked up Lex and that just started. And we spent the next year getting Lexi adjusted. She's 10 months old at the time. So we started, we knew her at like nine months and then she was 10 months old when we get legal custody. And it was hard getting our family adjusted, you know, and we took Alexis to treatment. So we would take her in again, different subject for a different day, but seeing someone underinsured is a different reality. Mm. Yeah. And what that was like. And so we spent the next year taking her to treatment, getting her adjusted, talking through things. I would be remiss to act like it was all super easy in a cakewalk. We had some really hard times and unfortunately she passed away a short time after she turned 24 years old. Wow. It's still the hardest thing I've ever done, even with the work I do, being in that hospital room, knowing she didn't want to die. You know, she was so scared and just, it was so unfair. And seeing that was still, I mean, it's still in the forefront of my mind and it is still just the absolute hardest thing that I've ever done. Oh my goodness. And how old was Lexi at that time? 18 months. I mean, I'm sure it didn't feel fast as you were living it. Fast timeline. Really fast. And it it didn't always seem fast, but it was a really fast timeline. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh my goodness. So then you have Lexi and your other three children. Yeah. So we did. 
Yeah, we're getting adjusted. And, you know, Alexi was, it's funny when you say like I had worked in the inner city before and you think it's all going to be a cakewalk. Was it? I mean, there was that I wasn't expecting. She was very territorial with food for a very long time. And she hated everybody but us. Like she wouldn't go, like it was so crazy when you grow up in a like proximity family and you have this big family, she wouldn't go to my parents. My mom was like grandma of the year. She wouldn't go to my mom. Like she had such trust issues. And so she, my mom and dad were going to watch all four kids so we could go away for our 12 year anniversary. And I have remember saying to my husband, like, I hope you don't plan on going anywhere. Like I just wanted to sleep. I don't think I had ever felt that level of exhaustion. Like, you know, you question yourself sometimes like, did I ruin my other kids' lives? Is this hard? She's crying all the time. What, what was I thinking? What am I doing wrong? You know, all of those things. And so we get ready to leave for our anniversary and he had to work, ended up getting a work call. And I remember it so clearly because I'd already dropped the kids off. So I laid in my bed and I'm like, I'm going to get in a shower and get ready. And I was like, what the heck? I'll do a self-breast exam. Like Alexis said, young women get breast cancer. You need to make sure how their people do their breast exam. And I totally just blew her off basically like, yeah, whatever, you know, like I just, so I do this self-breast exam for the first time ever on our anniversary. And I find this super tiny lump and I wasn't even a little bit worried. I wasn't, I was like, there's no way I'm going to adopt this baby and watch her mom die. And I'm going to get breast cancer. Like the universe. No, no like way. that would just not happen. I no. would totally be with you. Like the Alexis was already an anomaly. So right. like, how could that possibly be within the realm of, yeah. And I remember he got home and I was dressed and we were only going an hour away, like to the city. And I got dressed and I said, Hey, I felt this lump. I want you to feel it, but I'm not worried about it. And he's like, uh, it's hard. I think you should get it checked out. And I'm like, you're crazy. I'm not even worried about it because this would never happen. Like I legitimately was a hundred percent invincible, like was not worried. And so we went, I didn't think another thing of it. And then he's not a warrior. And I, we got back on Sunday and he goes, I want you to call your doctor guy was my OB. And I want you to call him and make sure you get in. And I said, you're worried. And he's like, I just think we would be stupid not to check it out. Look what we just saw, blah, blah, blah. So he gets me in on Monday, which the guy's always busy. I don't know how I got in. And Monday he was like, oh, I could put a needle in it and see if it's a cyst. And I'm like, uh, I don't want a needle in it. And like, I've known this guy forever because he had all, delivered all my kids or whatever. And so he said, okay, well, you'll go in for an ultrasound tomorrow. So the next day, it's like things that now that I work in this world take weeks on time. I don't know why I got in so fast because I didn't know anybody. Like now I know lots of people. I didn't know a lot of people. And so the next day they do an ultrasound and I'm like, they call me back and they're like, we think you need to come in for a, a ultrasound guided biopsy. And I was like, what? So the next, then two days after that, we went in for the biopsy and Steve came with me, which I'm pretty independent. So normally that's not. And he said, they came out and told me they put a marker in there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm going to have metal in my breast and nothing's wrong. And how are they going to get it out? Like still totally like, there's no way. denial. Totally, totally. So Thursday, which was four days after the first doctor's appointment, the phone rings and it's 402. And I look out of the corner of my eye and in the front living room, I can see the bus stop and the boy, the girls are still in preschool. So they're playing at my feet and I can see the boys getting ready to run across the cul-de-sac from the bus stop and the phone rings. And he goes, Heather, it's positive. And I'm like, oh my God, thank God. I don't have time to deal with this. Da, 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 da. I literally had never had one thing wrong. And wouldn't you think I thought positive was a good thing? Like your biopsy is positive because <laughs> I don't have time for this. And so he's like, Heather, it's cancer. And I mean, I fell to the ground and I could still see it. Then back picture, like phone on wall, right? Because I couldn't find the cordless one, of course, because, you know, we're not in the cell phone area. So then I just run as fast as I can when I find the cordless one to my bedroom because I literally can't feel my legs. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. We just took this baby in and now I'm going to die of cancer. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, 
It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. And I can see, do you think having just walked with Alexis through that journey that it's, did it seem to you that death was like the only outcome? hundred percent. I mean, that seems like such a reasonable assumption when you've just walked through that journey that you've been through. I mean, I didn't know anyone who wasn't 70 with breast cancer. So then the only one person I knew who had it under 30, you know, and it was like all of the things, like I told you about just being so surprised to have a baby so young because I was working full-time, going to school full-time and naive. I had gotten really sick with strep throat. I didn't know it counteracted the pill, all the things. Right. Mm. And so then you read everything about getting breast cancer. You, you will not get breast cancer. If you're young, if you had your kids before 30, if you breastfed them all, I'm like, it was just total crapshoot. I had done all that. Yeah. So can you talk about, I want to get into pink ribbon girls because you have this, like all this journey, this incredible story led you to really deeply significant and impactful work. And I can also tell as you've been talking, I can tell that meaningful work is a significant part of your identity. Like when you're 19 years old and you're like, I'm going to go save underprivileged communities from intergenerational poverty. (laughs) So you're like, not someone who's not going to do meaningful work. So can you talk about pink ribbon girls? Yeah. So pink, we changed the name to pink ribbon. Good. Sorry. Pink ribbon. Good. Thank you for, thank you for the correction. And it's funny because we have been sending notes back and forth and I actually noticed the change. And I actually wanted to ask about that. If you want to address that at all, but go ahead. So first of all, good news is that I'm 18 years cancer-free. So that's amazing. And I can't believe I got to see like, like Lexi is playing college soccer. You know, think about that. I got to see her grow up. I got to see all three of my other children grow up, but PRG as it is today is only in its 12th year. And you want to know why? Because I hated the pink ribbon. And I hated breast cancer and I was so afraid I was going to reoccur and die. And I didn't want my kids to have to be reminded of it all the time. So I just went back to working with the inner city. Like I was not going to deal with it. Okay. And so how it came about is in 
my treatment, I had to go to a research hospital for treatment because I had the most aggressive kind of breast cancer at the time, which was the exact same kind that Alexis had. So it's called for those. It was the exact same kind, literally the most aggressive kind. So and is it, this like an environmental thing? Like, no, I don't think so. Well, because, no. Yeah. So in, she saved my life. How would I have ever done? I, I would have never done a self-breast exam and I would have been dead before a mammogram. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never had a mammogram. So basically I had to go to Ohio state, which was about an hour from where I live. Okay. And the reason I had to go there is because there was a clinical trial with a drug called Herceptin. And I say that because it kind of even just adds so much credibility to people who go through breast cancer and Herceptin sort of changed the breast cancer world and the treatment for the breast cancer world. And so it was the most aggressive kind. People were reoccurring within three to four to six months, no matter what. And so when I got to Ohio state, um, there was a young lady in the treatment room that had hair. She had hair and she had two little girls sitting there watching videos while she was getting poisoned. Wow. And her name was Stephanie. And I said, oh my God, you have hair. How are you? Whatever. And so we start talking because this was back before private rooms, which was really the biggest blessing in my life. And she said, I'm great. And you're going to do great. And, you know, clearly we sort of, you kind of probably remember us because, you know, I have two daughters that look like twins that have different skin colors. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. like stick out. Right. And so she, she asked the story and I tell her the story and I said, so are you done? Are you getting maintenance chemo? And she said, no, I have stage four breast cancer. And I was like, oh my God. And so then I'm freaked out even more on top of Alexis and whatever else. Well, she and I, you know, again, not like internet was super strong, definitely not social media. And so she and I just started becoming friends. Well, I realized then that her husband was the biggest football player at Ohio state and then played in the NFL and then was on the Oprah show because he quit the NFL to take care of her. And she's amazing. And she was so down to earth and her name is Stephanie Spielman. And she was so just like there in her old Navy dress. Like I would have had no idea in my head. I thought, Oh my gosh, she has stage four breast cancer and four kids. They probably have so many bills. I literally thought that, right. You just don't have any idea. And so after we were friends, like two months, I'm like, I figured out who you were. And she's like, that's (laughs) and so we would meet quarterly and could take the kids to lunch, talk about the kids camps they went to just be friends. Okay. And she was stable and she was doing so much for research, which is crazy how both of my worlds collided because she yeah. doing so much for her two positive breast cancer. And then now where we're at in California, now she was working with the company to create the drug. It's just so wow. crazy. But anyways, so I will never forget. She was good every year. I'm like, she's going to beat it. She's going to beat it. She has to be the one that beats it. And so we're at about 10 years of her stage four diagnosis. Cause she was already way ahead of me. You know what I mean? In treatment reoccurrence, mm-hmm. all of that. And we were at a live strong foundation summit and I'll never forget it. I was standing there and I was just learning about the new drugs and whatever. And we were in Columbus and she walked off the podium and she's like, have a cough. And she's mm-hmm. like, I think when it gets a cough, it's kind of just the near the end. And she looked at me straight and said that, and she was like, gorgeous, like supermodel gorgeous. You wouldn't have known. And she had, it. I noticed that she spoke with a mint. And at this point I wasn't speaking all of the time. So anyways, I just went to see her a lot of times. And then um, her husband was inducted into the NF or the Ohio state hall of fame or something. I say this because she went out on that field in front of a hundred thousand people who thought she was, their family was everything in a wheelchair with her head really swollen from brain metastasis oh. and she teared on her family. So I saw her about three to four days after that. I can't remember. I went to her house and it's the last time I saw her and she was incoherent most of the time. Mm. And she woke up because when we were in treatment together, we would talk about how she would do research and I should do the care side of things. And she woke up and she said one sentence and the whole hour I was there. She just said in her really soft voice, don't talk use my death as an excuse, you know, your purpose. And I sobbed, stopped the entire way home. It was an hour drive. And I was like, I have to write a grant for these services because I have to, for her, I promised her I would. And I was like, I'll never get the grant. You don't get a grant unless you have a proven track record and sustainability. And I have a pipe dream and I've never served a meal. Mm. So we wrote the grant to this organization called the Lester and Sue Smith foundation. It was based in Houston, Texas, which we're still not in Houston, Texas. And he was a billionaire oil man and he believed in pipe dreams. He was in a typical foundation. So they announced 20 nonprofits. They picked one per state, not more than 20 on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And we got the grant. Wow. It was $45,000 and we had to get it matched. And mind you, 
I was just like, oh, $100,000 is probably a good budget. I guess we'll figure this out. No, <laughs> how many people we would serve, what we would do, nothing. Yeah. And so um, we got the grant. I met with a local philanthropist and she was 80 and she's still my hero. Now she's 91. And she said, Heather, I've never, I didn't know her, right? I just found, they were like, this lady gives money and she believes in women. And I literally called her up and said, can you meet me for coffee? Like I had no clue. And she said, Heather, I've never given $45,000 to someone at the very beginning without proving they can do it. And I just looked at her and I said, Pat, I promise you, you will, I will not let you down. Again, I met her in five minutes. So she agreed to the $45,000 and she made me promise that I would surround myself by people who were strong in my weaknesses and build a board full of doers, donors, and door openers. Oh, and that's how we got started. So, so wow. we get three meals a week for your entire family. We give house cleaning products and a lightweight vacuum that you can use after a mastectomy. We give rights to treatment and peer support. And the peer support has been a lifeline for so many so when we got about four months in, we were using a caterer out of Dayton and we were delivering the meals in Costco and Sam's bags. And if your name was in my phone, I was calling you. And if you were like, well, I can't today, then I was rude. Like I was like, oh, oh I'm sorry, Sarah. Are you, are you more busy than someone fighting cancer? <laughs> That's how I would do it. I'm surprised. I, have it. I love this. I love this. I am the co-chair of my son's parent association at the school. And I feel like I take that tone sometimes. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can't help out with the school dance. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, do I sound oh, judgy? I, Cause I'm kind of feeling judgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't even know if I have any friends. And so then like all of a sudden we get 400 meals and we can't get them. And they're starting to unthaw by the time they get to the other end of the state in this state. Yeah. I cried. And I said to my husband, I can't do this. I think we're going to fail. I'm going to fail. And he's like, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. And then he sent me these strawberries and like, keep going. And I, the strawberries came and they were frozen. And I was like, they're frozen. We have to freeze the meals. And then we have to ship the meals. And so I call the chef and I'm like, you have to freeze the meals and you have to ship the meals. And he's like, there, you have to get licensed through the health department, licensed through the state. And I said, okay. So we closed, we did shipped no meals for two weeks. Then apparently it's a lot harder to ship meat. So we shipped vegetarian meals for two weeks after that. And then we got licensed and we started shipping the meals. And then we started growing and, and, and I just had no idea. I mean, we had no data. I can't tell you how many meals we delivered in 2012 because I don't know. I can't tell you how many rides I had because, well, I'm sure I broke every law. If I would let you drive someone to treatment. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we started. And in 2013, um, we shipped 10,250 meals and we gave 200 rides to treatment. Wow. And last year we shipped 185,000 meals and we gave 34,000 rides to treatment. Wow. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. It's crazy to me. And I can't. And are you serving people where? So where are all of the service? So it always kind of goes back. I'm going to tie in the Lexi thing for a second. So we started Dayton and Cincinnati. And then we added Columbus, which because Columbus is where I got treated. And then it was still all doable, right? We had our own chef. We had our own this. It, everything was very non-scalable at all. You mm-hmm. couldn't scale because you were. That's everything. what I'm trying. That's what I'm imagining as so, like an entrepreneur. So, I'm like, at one point, like yeah, so you go is, from 10,000 to 100. Right. This is how crazy it is. And so I always wanted to be able, at this point, we're in year two or three. And I was like, this has to be national. I cannot believe the people who don't have a ride. Like my right. ride lining up to take me. And my husband took me to all the hard ones. My mom and my sister were like my lifeline. And so I was like, how? And so it was May of 2017. And we were, I, my husband took two kids this way. And I went with Lexi to Phoenix for soccer. And I'm like, Oh my God. If you go from Ohio to Phoenix for soccer, you're probably in a cult. I had never seen anything like it. Clearly, <laughs> I don't look like D one athlete. So I was like, so we pull into Phoenix. I will never forget. It. it was the first time she had to drive an hour to be on this soccer team, all the things I don't understand in life. And there's like 75 D one coaches, like watching her game. And I was like, this is insane. So, but I'm trying to be a good mom. Speaking of it, right. You're trying to do all things. So I'm trying to be a good mom. I'm trying to feel like I have like two, barely two employees at all of PRG. And I don't even think mm-hmm. I was paid at the time. And we have like, I was 300 emails deep and we were getting ready. I oh. think to to start the $1 million mark or hit the $1 million mark. 
And so we get back and I'm like, okay, then I have 350 emails. And so we get to the airport and I obviously 2017 before COVID and I walk over three terminals. And I say this, cause I think this is so funny. Like when you live in Ohio in a rural Ohio, you fly out of the smallest hub in the airport. So I couldn't plug my computer in. So I literally walked over three terminals and I said, Lex, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone for 45 minutes. I'm drowning in emails. Of course, 10 minutes later in true mom fashion, she walks over the three terminals and is like, mom, I need $5 for Starbucks. And so I hand her my card and this guy sitting beside me goes, did you adopt her? And I was like, clearly, I was like, so, <laughs> and he's like the best smile in the world. He goes, tell me your story. And I was like, oh, 300 emails deep. And so I tell, <laughs> I tell him as fast as I can. And he says, you're never going to believe this. I'm the VC for this guy who started AI and we're working on mammograms, but the way my founder got his money is that he created software and the program is called Jungly and he sold it to Jeff Bezos in 1998. So that Amazon could sell more than books. Whoa. I was like, what? And then I was like, I'll never hear from him again. Right. And so I put him in my phone, Neil Phoenix airport. That's what I put him in my phone. So May goes by, June <laughs> goes by, July goes by August comes. And I'm like, never thought about it again. And at that time, it's like a Sunday night at 10 o'clock Eastern time. And he calls and he says, says, Neil, Phoenix airport. And I was like, it's 10 PM. Yeah. This guy's to be butt dialing me. And my husband's like, just answer. And he's like, you know, the world of startup, all the things that you know about in Seattle that I didn't know about. He's like, Heather, this is Neil from the Phoenix airport. And I have Rakesh on the phone and we'd like to talk to you. And tomorrow we have a big meeting in St. Louis and we would love you to fly in for it. Like it's 10 PM, but that isn't even, they don't even bat an eye at that. We'll, we'll get your plane ticket. We'll get, we'll send you a car. Can you meet us there tomorrow? Whoa. So then I'm like, I get off the phone. Don't know what to say. And I say to my husband, I don't even think I have a serious job. Do they think I have nothing to do tomorrow? Da, 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 da. And he's like, <laughs> did you look him up? And I'm like, I'm not scared of him, Steve. Like, I think it's safe. And he goes, no, I don't mean that. Like, look him up. They literally changed Silicon Valley. I go, so you think I should go? And he's like, uh, yeah. And then I'm like, in typical, I think this is such a thing of women. I'm like, Columbus isn't, isn't succeeding yet. What if I look like a failure? What if I can't do this? What if I can't do that? What if I don't get back for soccer? All of these things, right? <laughs> so I got on the plane and I don't know, probably because I didn't know that true, what do you call it? Like full spectrum of how awesome these people were. I was just hundred percent authentically myself. And so when we got there, I was like, well, this is my chance. And what do I have to lose? And so he said, I'm going to go in and pitch this hospital. And I, I think we, they can use our AI. And I said, okay, clearly I know my place. Like, why did I say this? Clearly I know my place. And my place is to make sure that you don't look like another billionaire trying to, you know, make more money that you have a heart. And so I'm going to tell you what I need from you. I need you to open up all your connections because what we do is awesome. And I need it to be national. And he was like, okay. And so we had the meeting that's how St- they were in St. Louis because WashU had the largest data set of 3D mammograms. Then about three months later, it wasn't going well. It wasn't like, it's like, I didn't know how startups work. I didn't know you have to fund and then you have to beg people for more money. So then you don't hear from them for a little while or whatever. And so have you ever read the book, The Last Lecture? Mm-mm. You should read it. It's this awesome guy. Randy Posh is his name. He was a professor, I think at Carnegie Mellon. He has kids later and he helped developed the Aladdin ride with Pixar and talks about his dreams. And he had pancreatic cancer and has three young kids. And he gives this amazing last lecture. You should watch it on YouTube. But one part of his book, he says, I wanted to develop something at Disney. And why do we take no for an answer? Why do we take no for an answer? So I kept calling the guy at Pixar. He wouldn't, he wouldn't answer his phone, calling the guy, calling the guy. And he goes, and finally, finally, he says, I'm going to be in town tomorrow night. Will you meet me for 20 minutes for coffee? And the guy goes, yes. Well, the guy had an eight hour drive because of course he wasn't in town. So he had to figure out how to get there. And so after a while, I'm like, these people can really help us grow. And so I called Rakesh up and I said, Hey, I'm coming to San Francisco. I have a meeting with Uber to talk about giving our rides to treatment. Will you meet with me? And then I called Uber Uber up and said, Hey, I have a ride with a a meeting with a big donor in San Francisco. I'm going to be there. Will you meet with me, Uber? I didn't have either meeting. And they just said yes. And I flew out there and that's how Uber started doing our rides. And then Rakesh became a big donor and that's sort of how we're at here. Oh my goodness. 
This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I feel like there's like 47 lessons in there that you just like dropped on us. But what I really want to point out is that, as I mentioned earlier, you have this like foundation of being really clearly mission driven and clearly like you're going to build a legacy and do meaningful work and be of service. But I also think that you, something you pointed out is assuming it's going to work out. And Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, like there's times where you have doubt, but like assuming that like, I can just walk into a room and tell people to do this and that they'll do it. So like a lot of assertiveness and like assumptions, I think are really, really powerful. And then also I think being really open to things that so many people would not be open. They would assume it's not going to work out or assume not great intentions or assume that I don't have it figured out enough to do that next thing. And you kind of just like blew, it sounds like right through so much of that to just assume Zoom, like I'm qualified to be in the room. I'm here to tell my story. This is what we need. Let's go. And like this really direct, clear path, which I can tell from the way you tell the story that it wasn't that there was no self-doubt or no um, questioning yourself, but also that you were able to really stay focused on an outcome and a goal. And also like what the implications of meeting that goal would be in terms of being able to serve people. And that like allowed you to put blinders on and just get the work done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or fail fast, fail forward. Right. Because oh, so when yeah, I, totally. When I would fail, I kind of, there were times, I think no matter how strong we are, that you're like, Oh my God, am I cut out for this? But then you get a phone call from Laura. Who's like, well, I ran out of treatment options, but Heather, like I had a really good life. And I think we all get to choose our heart and I got to go to the grocery today. So you listen to that voicemail and you're like, oh, well, I just messed up with a call with Amazon and I shouldn't keep moving it forward. She's moving forward. How can I not move forward? And you know, one thing that Stephanie said that I think is super important 
I don't know why some people live and some people die. And I think cancer is a total freaking crapshoot. I really do. I think some people with stage one reoccur. I mean, clearly it's not as bad as when you're already diagnosed at stage four. And I can't control who lives and who dies, which is hard. And the survivor's guilt sometimes. But these people, I can only honor them if I live my life, like love my people and live my life to make a difference. And I tell myself and my team that all of the time, because you basically, to me, if you quit living, you are really just dishonoring them. And these survivors, Sarah, make my life so much better. You know what they teach you? Like they teach you to live in the moment. They teach you to show up no matter what. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to talk before we wrap up here in just a minute. I know that your work is extended beyond breast cancer to also serve those afflicted with gynecological cancers. Can you talk about that a little bit and also about what you want people to know around awareness? I think that your story is so incredible in terms of like making all these assumptions that it could never happen to me. And then it did happen to you and all of the denial. I think when it comes to breast cancer, when it comes to gynecological cancers, that's the position most of us are in that we're like, yeah, like that happens to like my great aunt Judy, but like not me. So can you talk a little bit about that piece? Yeah. So basically what was happening is we were serving people with breast cancer and we were serving them if they were BRCA positive with that's a genetic mutation, Mm. but we weren't Mm. serving them if they had gynecological cancer. And I do think one way that PRG has been successful is that we've stuck to our mission, which that is something that Pat, the cutest little 80 year old lady told me, she's like, don't veer to mortgage electric bill. And so it was really scary to me to add gynecological cancer, but it made perfect sense because Mm. they are so intertwined. And again, it comes a little bit with somebody not with somebody being shameless. So someone who was an amazing person who was a gynecological oncologist basically just kept chasing me around seriously. Like my patients have nothing. Their treatment is harder. This, they are related, Heather, they are related. And I was like, brought it to the board and they were like, okay. And I learned a lot. Like the gynecological cancer treatment is so hard and so intense and longer and doubled my budget in a lot of ways, but Mm. it's worth it. And they feel so valued and they're such a huge part of what we do. And, Mm. you know, again, shameless plug, I guess, is that the goal is that this is in every state. And I, that is my goal. Like before I retire, I want these services to be offered everywhere. And And how many states are you in now? We're in six, six. Okay. Yeah. And we just had huge meetings yesterday and a couple of other states. We know the model works because fast forward, obviously we have a food service program now. So they are, you know, manufactured and shipped with our logo. We work with Uber for the ride. So our actual services, you could pick them up and start them anywhere. Mm, It's a funny issue. We're trying to work with some of the payers and the insurances to figure that out. But that is my, because this is another thing that kills me. We're so much better and how Silicon Valley helped us so much. They helped us with the HIPAA compliant portal. They helped us with our data. We started screening for food insecurity. We started screening for ride insecurity. So 30% of everyone we serve is food insecure. Food insecurity means you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Yeah. We use the same screening as the NIH. About 28% of them can't get to treatment. And so those things matter. And so that's kind of why we went into gynecological cancers. And, you know, I always say when, um, maybe Jeff Bezos gives me like $200 million, we could do all cancers (laughs) until then. Right. Right? Yeah. And so I am just so incredibly thankful to be able to serve them. And I do feel like it's directly related and between breast and gynecological cancers. If you combine them together, it is what the majority of women who get cancer face. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell people who are listening, who want to get involved, how can they do that? So how can people get involved in either supporting pink ribbon, good accessing services, sharing services with loved ones? Like, tell us a little bit about that piece before yeah, we go. So you can go to pinkribbongood.org or you can go to Facebook or on Instagram on pink ribbon good. And I would love to hear from you, whether you need services, whether you want to get involved and 
you know, there could be somebody on this podcast that is like, I need this in Seattle. I need this in Wisconsin. Yes. We've gone to the other States. We have a model that works. We meet with the hospitals, you know, we find an ambassador and we start in that area after we raise a percentage of the budget. And so, you know, we're figuring that out as, as we go too. And I, I just appreciate, I think we're all connected in so many ways and the world really is so small and people really want to do good. Absolutely. Okay. So the website is pink ribbon. Good. Anywhere else where people can go to connect with you and learn more. I have Instagram on here. So I'll put up your Instagram as well. Anything yeah. else? And my personal Instagram is on there too. And then yep. is, uh, it's the same on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. It's at pink ribbon. Good for all those. Yep. Yes. Okay. Taking frantic notes here. Yep. Okay. We will have everything linked in the show notes. So if people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Heather Salazar, they can click right through to that. And then Heather, tell us how you are currently showing up as a shameless mom. I love the name. (laughs) Oh, and I didn't talk about the pink ribbon good change, but basically it's because the average woman we serve is 57. And when we would go in new states, they would think it was a young women's cancer. And we wanted to make sure they knew. So yes, I feel like I'm showing up as a shameless mom. Well, first of all, I'm a grandma. So oh, congratulations and way more fun than being a mom. But <laughs> I feel like I'm showing up by, by example, by showing them it's hard. I think it's super important that I'm not like, I came home last night after I, I pitched this big company. And I said to my girls, I was like, like I was a B minus mm-hmm. on my A game. I was able to pull it together, but you got to push through and you got to show up. And I think that's my biggest thing of being a shameless mom, being authentic, taking care of myself and letting them know how valuable they are to me too. Oh, love it. Oh my goodness, Heather. This has been oh, so good. So good. I could talk to you for five days without stopping. Um, so thank you so much. The next time Pink Ribbon Good has something specific that you need, something that we can support or promote, you have to come back to the show. I definitely want to continue this conversation. Thank you for the work that you're doing. It is so critically important. And I'm just so, so grateful for this conversation, but also for all of the good that you're doing in service to others, really significant work. So thank you for all the ways that you show up. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. 
I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 